Hello, hello, and welcome to Think Business Futures. I'm your host, Max Tillman, coming to you from the studios of 2SER in Sydney on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation and broadcast right across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program is produced in association with the UTS Business School, and each week we take a closer look at the numbers that make up the news. It was Alan Turing, most known for cracking the Enigma Code in the Second World War and regarded as the father of artificial intelligence, who said a computer would deserve to be called intelligent if it could deceive a human being into believing that it was human. It's been 70 years since Mr Turing made that prediction and it became forever known as the Turing Test. But can a machine become indistinguishable from a human? And if so, where does that leave us? This week, we take a closer look at the role of artificial intelligence in marketing. We already understand the fact that Amazon, eBay and Spotify, to name a few, can predict what we want to buy or how we're feeling. But are there greater ethical questions hidden behind those ones and zeros? Joining us today is Dr. Taewoo Kim, lecturer in the Marketing Discipline Group from the University of Technology Sydney's Business School, who has recently released a research paper on artificial intelligence and persuasion in marketing. And Naomi Simpson, one of Australia's most recognisable entrepreneurs and co-founder of Big Red Group, who are the Australian and New Zealand distributor for Albert AI, a marketing artificial intelligence that processes and analyses audiences for its clients. Naomi, just for the sake of our audience, really, could you give an explanation as to what Albert is and how it works? We came across Albert AI about three years ago, and it's worth putting into context why we were searching for a different way of doing our marketing technology. Because often we think, oh, here's an answer, when actually we need to look at, well, what was the set of circumstances that drove us to look for such a thing? I founded a business called Red Balloon, which is all about experiences. I remained owning the business, but left and did other things. I sat on the board. And together with another friend, we realised there was a much bigger offer for experiences to serve different audiences. And that's that's the most important element in, in this. In other words, Red Balloon was known for gifting and experiences and activities, but we have 2,000 small businesses that we re- represent and that could go to different audiences. Overlay over that, that when I started the business 20 years ago, believe it or not, was before Google AdWords had even launched And when I kind of muddled around with that, I was able to acquire a customer for about five cents. Now, by the time I came back into the business, we created the Big Red Group with the view of acquiring different brands and different audiences for the same product set. The cost to acquire a customer had gone up to $50. So what had been a very nice media landscape had become increasingly complex to navigate and very fast moving. So consumer sentiment shifts, well, obviously now, but shifts almost moment by moment. With having 2,000 small businesses, we represent represented about 15,000 Google AdWords and it was really hard. Often we would be asking the question about people, well, what happened? And they would spend a lot of time looking at what's happened. But in some ways that it does not set you up for the future. It doesn't set you up for consumer sentiment. AI is different than automation or programmatic, which is serving content quickly. This is actually serving content, adjusting its behaviour based on what it's learned. 
So we went out, we found Albert AI in Israel. He had a good footprint in terms of consumer websites. Albert, it's a consumer tool for consumer websites that have an endpoint. And the other thing is because he is learning from history to try and predict the future, uh, he has to have the history to work on. So the fact at Red Balloon we had, you know, 15 or more years of working with AdWords gave him lots of data to understand the behaviours of audiences. Dr Kim, well, the key research question proposed by your paper is, are we persuaded by human beings and artificial intelligence in the same way? In terms of persuasion by an artificial agent, my colleague Adam and I found that the artificial agent's persuasion pitch should be based on a different choice of words and linguistic style compared to when the sale persuasion pitch is coming from a human agent. And uh, more details about that is that the persuasion pitch uh, is supposed to be based on how uh, rather than why. That's perhaps the key findings in the paper. You've described persuasion as being a proxy for trust and indeed a proxy capable of being utilised by artificial intelligence. Now, is that not inherently unethical? It it sounds almost like a a form of coercion if you're describing it as a proxy. Okay, the reason why I said uh, persuasion as a proxy for trust is, first of all, persuasion, at least in psychological research, persuasion and trust are two different constructs. But I think those two could be correlated. And if someone is trying to persuade another person, if trust is uh, built on those two, that could facilitate the persuasion. So those two are different, but I think they are correlated. So to be honest, we never measured trust in our paper, but we measured the extent of persuasion and the way that persuasion effectiveness is linked up for trust could be that persuasion could be facilitated by trust. I guess that question, the answer to that question really depends on who used the AI for what purpose. So if an AI becomes a persuasion agent in terms of product recommendation, then that's already happening. Amazon's doing it. Netflix is doing it. Uh, If you listen to some music on YouTube, they use their algorithm to predict your preferences and then recommend you another music which can potentially influence your behavior. That is fine, I think. But uh, if that same capacity is used to sway people's behavior in an undesirable way, that could be dangerous. Naomi, do you think that using persuasion as a proxy for trust or instead of trust as a surrogate almost is not inherently unethical? These tools do not operate alone. And... um, It's funny that he's used the word persuasion because, you know, all of those years ago, Adobe had what is the equivalent of PowerPoint and it was called persuasion. Um, And that was, you know, that I'm now talking 35 years ago. So um, the art of persuasion is a concept from the 1950s or earlier. That is exactly what influences and these influencers as a media are currently doing, that is that an individual can create their own reach using their reputation and influence. So influence, it's not about the facts. And, you know, I can argue till I'm blue on a face, these are the details, this is why it's better. But if you don't have trust, 
then you are never going to buy that. So the only way to build trust is to live in the world of the customer, to speak their language, to understand and to paint a picture of what the future could look like if they chose your particular product or service. So um, I've always said in, when I'm running sales teams, you, no one can sell anything. Someone has to choose to buy. Now, the real point is, is did I choose to buy based on a set of information points that were fair and reasonable? And if you really want to know, the thing that concerns me more than anything is the fake news and the fake advertising. And this is why we need the ACCC. It's why we need to look at these things on a global scale not just a local scale. And even yesterday, I got an email from somebody saying, hey, did you buy into this business on Shark Tank? It says that you invested. It was completely fake news. They've taken me, my reputation, put it on some random product, and there it goes. And then I make a complaint to Facebook, which is where this particular ad was appearing. They close it down for one minute and it shows up. up. So there is, I think there's a much broader conversation to have. It's not the AI tool. It's how people are using it and are they using it for good or for evil? And why should brands with all of the right intentions, the right ethical footprint, the, you know, the commitment to sustainability, the seed program, make, you know, not, not be able to fight on the same playing field as unethical businesses? And interesting that there is a lot going on in the, in um, with Facebook right now in terms of big brands boycotting Facebook while it is the perpetuator of hate speech. And I think there is a much broader conversation, whether it's about how these things are uh, governed, ruled, policed, things that we thought, in other words, a wonderful democratic notion of free speech is being abused and people are being manipulated and we've seen it in elections. Does that mean that the is it the tool or the people? And I would argue if you take the tools away from all of those who are legally complying with the laws and the land, then, then they're at a disadvantage and that's not fair either. Dr Kim, one of the central themes of your research that you've already mentioned in the discussion so far is that we are more likely to accept a how persuasion from an artificial agent than we are likely to accept a why persuasion. You draw upon constructal right. level theory to explain that relationship human beings have with artificial agents in regards to high-level constructal and low-level constructal. So constructal level theory is a very well-established theory in the academic area of psychology. And this theory posits that humans' mindset could move along this continuum between low control and high control. So it's a continuum, it's dimension, and in, within that dimension, our mind can adjust uh, the level between high and low control. Uh, for some reason or for some factor, if our mindset is in low control, then people are thinking about concrete aspects of objects, events, or other you know, things around them. And by concrete, I mean, they are thinking about how to implement something. Um, in contrast to that, uh, if people are in high constraint mindset, they are in a more abstract thinking style. And this is um, related to with thinking about why. 
And there are other aspects of uh, construct level theory, and uh, there are four main determinants about uh, that influence people's position on this continuum, but I think those are less relevant uh, to uh, this discussion on my paper. Let's say that uh, construct level theory is a continuum on which people's mindset can shift from the low to high control. And I already mentioned that low control is um, thinking about concrete how, and high control is thinking about concrete and why. Now, human being, as a human being, we are capable of being in both high control and low control mindset. For example, uh, we could be thinking about riding a bike and how to ride a bike could be low control, which we are capable of. And at the same time, uh, why to ride a bike is also something that we are capable of thinking. Now, uh, when the same frame is applied to AI or other types of artificial agents, what I found is that people don't perceive much capacity, much high level construct capacity in those artificial agents. And when my colleague and I delved into this finding more, we figured that people simply don't believe robot could understand why and all the other aspects associated why, which could be human desire, which could be higher level goals or finding meanings in actions. All those things are sort of a blind spot uh, for an artificial agent. Therefore, when an artificial agent uses uh, why terms in their persuasion pitch becomes less effective compared to when the artificial intelligence is using how terms. It is fine that if you want to extend uh, this uh, finding into the domain of trust, I think uh, we can find some effects in terms of trust as well. Are we naturally cautious of high-level construal because it implies essentially hidden motivations? According to the construal level theory, we are capable of or cautious about both high and low level construal. And it really depends on what mindset we are in and what situational and contextual factors are driving us into thinking one of two, uh, these two thinking styles. So I'd say that we are capable of both. You could be cautious about both. If someone asks you, why do you ride bikes so much? And you could easily come up with four or five different answers. And in that moment, you will be in high control mindset because you're thinking about why. Now, if someone asks you, so let's say someone who cannot ride a bike, someone asks you, how, how to ride a bike? Please tell me. Then you'll be thinking about the steps to ride a bike well. And in that moment, your mindset will be in low control, thinking about how. So depending on what situation or circumstance you are in, you can be thinking about both. You can freely move, switch between the two mindsets. And you could be, uh, similarly, you could be cautious about both. But we found that artificial agents are not. Uh, to be more precise, we don't think artificial agents could be thinking or understanding in terms of uh, high-level control. Hmm. And when we talk about Siri and Alexa and obviously a number of other named or christened artificial agents that have got names and you could almost argue personalities, at least in terms of the marketing, in that regard, mm -hmm. are tech companies like Google and Apple, by building these advanced imitations of the human voice and, and cadence, and are they potentially eroding that natural human instinct to distrust from an artificial source? 
if the artificial agents or artificial assistants we see around, like Siri or uh, Alexa or Google's Home Assistant, they are in the current version or current level, I think they are short of uh, being in a state that is comparable to humans, high control, understanding and capacity. Now, the question is, what if uh, they evolve over time, improve over time, and come to a state that is comparably good at humans in terms of high-level control? I guess, um, I personally think people's first reaction uh, could be uh, freaked out <laughs> by those artificial agents that is that has such a high level, high, high level, high construct capacity. But at the same time, I'm thinking if that type of improvement or evo evolution is made, it's going to be a continuous evolution. So it's not going to happen over over the night. We will see a gradual incremental improvement in those artificial agents toward high, constru high level construct capacity. Therefore, I think we will adjust over time. Now, how does that influence our trust on them? I guess that question, the answer to get the question largely depends on what the tight control capacity is used for. Is it used for to judge us? For example, uh, let's say to select, uh, you earlier said that uh, uh, you are in your 20s and, you know, People seek for a job after gradu graduating the college, and then let's say to interview and select a high quality candidate, high performing candidate from a pool of 10 person, uh, the interviewer should have both high control and low control capability. Let's assume that's the case. Now, if an AI interview us, and AI select uh, one or two person out of the, those 10 candidates, it's in some sense AI judging us. Uh, if we are being judged by AI, uh, capable of high control uh, capability, we may react somewhat negatively in that context. Now, Naomi, you've been referring to the artificial intelligence as a hymn, which I find very interesting because that's actually one of the findings in Dr. Kim's research is that we're more receptive to artificial intelligence if it in some way imitates human characteristics. And one of the easiest ways of doing that is by giving your artificial intelligence a name, be that Alexa, be that Siri on Apple or indeed Albert. But in that regard, you have these giants of the tech industry, particularly Google and Apple, who are building these advanced imitations of often the human voice and to an extent, a personality, you could almost argue. Now, one of the problems that Dr. Kim is looking at in particular is that it somewhat erodes that natural human instinct to distrust abstract thought, essentially, from an artificial source. So, what are your thoughts on that? Obviously, there's a lot of benefits to giving your artificial intelligence human characteristics because it obviously builds an element of trust with the consumer. It builds an element of trust with obviously your clients who are using that system in order to generate revenue and, and more consumers. So do you think that there's an ethical question involved here? How much of a human are we willing to impose upon an artificial intelligence? Yeah, and it's not just AI. We've been calling machines names for a long time. My first car was a VW Bug. Watson has been around for a very long time from IBM. So 
This is not new news. In fact, we've referred to machines by name for a very long time and often we give them a nickname or a a pet name. It needs to be a part of the team and it needs to be seen as an extension of the human. In other words, um, what can I do better if I got an assistant to help me? And well, that assistant, if I have a name rather than for referring to it as X or Y, means that I might be able to be more creative and informative. Like it will impact how I respond and and treat it as an extension and therefore it's going to get better results. This is not new news that we have referred to machines by a name. Um, and as a marketer, um, it just it makes our job easier because it delivers personality and um, and a level of association. So, uh, so do you think that yeah. in that regard, that ethical question about creating a persona around an artificial intelligence is maybe a little bit too within the realms of academia, and they're somewhat ignoring the fact that obviously one of the keys to marketing, whether you're using an artificial intelligence or going door knocking. Uh, is to create a rapport with a client. Exactly. And it's, for me, it's not an ethical question. Um, people call their dogs by human names. You know, we, we use human names for all sorts of things. So um, it's about created a set, creating a sense of relatedness and, you know, good old-fashioned cold calling was about building a relationship with somebody and having a name and I'm here for you and so forth and building trust. So it to me it's not an ethical question at all. It's pretty clear Albert is called Albert AI. His surname is AI. <laughs> it's very transparent. I think there's only an ethical question where there comes de- deception involved and that um, the ACCC is very interested in. So that's deception, which is a very different thing rather than cre- in engendering oneself or building emotional connection. Dr. Kim, if an artificial agent mm-hmm. was to, let's say, target a particular demographic two weeks before an election, telling mm-hmm. them how to vote in the same way that you have mm-hmm. how to vote cards, the Australian Electoral Commission at the last election had some issues with the Liberal Party using a technique of uh, essentially having posters in Mandarin that imitated the look of mm-hmm. a ballot. And that, to mm-hmm. me, is low-level construal. That's instructions on how to sign a ballot form. Do you think that... Okay. Uh, an AA could essentially be used to do something like that, that we're so willing to trust the how that we could be tricked into doing something. Yeah, if you put it in that specific visualization, I'm getting concerned a little bit. <laughs> well, I think uh, any finding in terms of AI psychology or AI perception has the potential uh, to be misused. And it will be same, it will be not just for my findings, uh, leading colleagues in this AI and psychology research, they have found lots of interesting phenomena, and any of those could be misused. If that is the case, uh, again, I would emphasize the importance of regulations related to the use of AI. So, for example, AI uh, should be biased or for example AI's decision making process should be transparent uh, those are all good objectives and we should achieve them and at the same time uh, that uh, regulation about AI could be more complete I believe if we embrace a human psychological reaction to AI so 
I'm just going to a step, step it back a little bit. So a, Albert AI, he's just looking for achieving his KPI and he's really unemotional. And so he will just stop a campaign if it's not working. He'll suspend it and say, this is what I learned. I think you need to adjust your creative. Take your text off the top of the image and it'll probably work better. He gives those suggestions. Whereas that is not what you're getting from Facebook or Google. They are just continually taking your media spend until you run out. And um, so for me, in terms of ethical, in terms of, um, you know, every dollar's precious, I think that he plays a really, really good role in that. But, um, you know, there's a much bigger and broader conversation for our community about these incredible democratic tools that have been invented known as the, the social medias. With that, you know, we were given the greatest tool in history for storytelling and nobody taught us how to tell a story and it's just really saddens me. Well, there we go. Another episode of Think Business Futures. Maybe one day this too will become the realms of artificial intelligence, rendering formless voices like my own obsolete. But as Naomi and Dr. Kim have both alluded to, the ethics of AI are entirely dependent upon its uses. It would be naive to say that marketing AI is persuading consumers based upon dark forces much larger than themselves, because once again, if the glove fits, wear it, and if the AI works, buy it. Once again, thank you to our guests, Dr. Taewoo Kim and Naomi Simpson. Make sure to catch the full show online wherever you get your podcasts, and make sure to tell your friends or favourite artificial intelligence about today's show. I've been your host, Max Tillman. Thanks for listening.